Hi, Cole here, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. It's been a long summer, but the leaves once again fall, and with autumn comes longer nights that beg for darker tales. And to fill those long, cold evenings, I've launched a brand new podcast called Tiny Terrors. Tiny Terrors is a nostalgic horror anthology series that is as fun as it is dark. Join three friends as they delve into a forgotten corner of storytelling history and bring to light the darker depths yet still hidden in those often untraveled corners. Subscribe, listen, and review Tiny Terrors wherever you listen to podcasts. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Town Whispers is a narrative horror podcast that will tell the many stories hidden behind the rain and the fog in the trees of a town called The Fort. Here in this town, where the ground is slick, the final steps taken are always the most difficult. Listener discretion is advised. Darling daughter, ever the child you are. You aren't welcome here! But why? 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 
Edith Blackleach goes where she may, does what she wants, not in my home, not here. Oh, come now. That's no way to treat your mother, Mildred. Mildred stood momentarily taken aback, stunned at the sudden appearance of James who'd stepped through the open front door. Oh, I apologize. Looks like I should have taken my shoes off at the door. Adam stepped back, keeping his glib gaze narrowed on Mildred, who stared back unnerved for some reason beyond her willingness to understand. She saw James, but she felt terrified, and in her terror she found silence once more. You're looking a little peckish. Maybe you should sit a while. Seems you've been through quite a lot, haven't you? Mildred was silently heaving, her sunken chest cracking and popping with labored breaths, her emaciated form, all ribs and hips and pointy elbows that sat awkwardly in her clothing. A look of failure fell across her eyes as her bunched nose and scrunched chin eased. She fell into a chair, resting her elbow on the arm and her face in her hand. Mildred looked small. She felt small. She felt so young and yet so frail and worn threadbare. Say, Mildred, I don't suppose you know where Peggy is, do you? No, I don't. Mildred, 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 I gave you everything. I helped find a way to bring Mark back after he left you. When you gave up your chance for motherhood, I gave it back to you. These things, so secret, so hushed, so guarded and shrouded. I've not been here, but I've always been there to give my little girl. Everything she ever needed. Give me this, Mildred. Where is Peggy? A deal is a deal, and we sign this exchange in materials more sacred than blood alone. Your particular flavor of help and ideas of free will need a bit of a reevaluation, lady. Looks like your damn dungeons are so dank your free will guests keep flying the coop. There is no time for an excess in words. I agree. Well, what now? Tiller, check the caves. The Reverend, in his confused state, might return to a spot of past trauma. And you know your way there and back better than any of us. And where do you suppose I get to step into then, eh? Alfie, you head to the church on Heaven Hill. It's the most likely place he'll return, I think. 
you are the most physically capable of restraining him and sustaining life if he is in a grave state. Oh, Cyprian, you've thought this out to the T. And where, pray tell, shall you head? I intend to head to the Lepont's home. Oh, so interesting. Why the heck would you waste your time doing that? They ain't got nothing to do with this particular heap of nasty. Oh, why must I always prove my intentions are true? I don't know. Let me count the reasons why, old hag. Oh, all right. The reverend may be delirious. Are you following so far? He may be feeling his mortality. There is also only one woman he's ever loved, Mildred Morthy. Or rather, Mildred Lapont after her marriage. But he's loved her since childhood and still sees her as a beacon of innocence, a lost dream out of grasp. He may in his delirium, or rather in his desperate state, go to her for reasons beyond the logic of a rational woman such as myself. A last-ditch effort to acquire a sign of her affection. A reason to continue on in this world past his current pain. Oh, the human need for love, even in one's last moments. How precious. Rusty sat, unmoving but very much alive and loud and boisterous in the same barstool he'd occupied all night swiveling around and sharing his gripes with anyone who would listen. Damn that stupid Mark Lapont and his wife and children, and how dare they have the audacity to live in the fort after killing it with their selfishness and their stupidity. How could they look anyone in the eyes? And more importantly, how could they not have apologized? How could Mark have just given up on the mill, just let it die, let the river commerce die? How they fed their families just wither and die. Most were uninterested. Most told him to go home and sleep it off. Slowly though, but surely indeed, a crowd of like-minded individuals began to gather and as they drank, they became much more of one central mind as the evening went on. They should be run out of town. The LaPonts ruined everything. The last good man in that family died when Charles went missing. Another voice occasionally would join Rusty as he orchestrated the drunken rage and stupor. I'm with you, Rusty. Make them pack their bags. Run them out of town. Finishing their drinks, the crowd's boisterous yells and cheers quieted. They knew. They felt it. They had all moved past the point of discussion where action needed to be taken. The barkeep paid them little to no mind as they paid their tabs and slowly, quietly, skittishly stepped out into the night, 
looking about, knowing that what they intended to do was too much, too far, unnecessary. But it would feel good, and they'd felt terrible for so long, and the booze had done nothing to lighten their moods, but the catharsis of their agreed-upon plan would. Rusty pushed his way to the front of the cobbled-together crowd, mostly assembled of blue-collar men, but some women and shopkeepers had joined them as well, filling out their ranks, mostly caught up in the enthusiasm of the crowd and the excitement of it all. He led the procession down Main Street and away from the warm liquors and smells of wet wood in the fireplace of the tavern. There was talk amongst the group, but it was quiet, their communications largely unspoken. A couple men amongst the group standing nearest Rusty held kerosene lanterns and lit the way for the crowd as they slowly left the embrace of what little civilization there was in the town center. The bravado of the mob grew as the streets became more rural, the lanterns waving back and forth hypnotically, the jeers of the hive-minded mob coming in melodic waves of anger-born unity as they made their way to the LaPont home well out of town, hidden behind sheets of trees and ditches and muddy fields. Somewhere along the way, Reverend Albert had heard the crowd nefarious in their intent whispering and nodding to one another as they went, cracking their knuckles and looking ahead stoically. He'd slipped amongst the mob, and like weathered soldiers of a war long since forgotten, they accepted him into their chaotic marching ranks, carrying him as he lagged behind the pace. The bedsheet the reverend had wrapped himself in was pulled tight against the cold of the night, hiding the mashed and torn and shredded bits of his back. Despite the pain, Reverend Albert looked about pleased. Each person that collectively made up the swarm adorned their own whisper, strapped to their backs, their rat-like claws dug in tight. Some sat atop the shoulders, whispering in their ears as they walked along, and breathlessly Reverend Albert muttered encouragements under his own breath, and in turn those encouragements were passed along by the whispers who'd done their work well the previous night and spurred on the angers and regrets, the sorrows and pains of all those in the fort who had sought at one time or another to absolve themselves by confiding in the Reverend. Peggy LaPont had woken that morning, in a pile of old potato sacks and a forgotten tool shed on a farm somewhere in the vast expanse of abandoned fields. Small and cold and tired, she wiped tears from her cheeks. It was too early to cry, but she could hardly help it she'd woken crying, so homesick that even her sleep felt uneasy and itchy like wearing someone else's sweater. She rose from where she had laid herself to sleep in the run-down shed she'd found. Shaking the dust and bugs from her hair, she stood on her feet, nearly toppling over. Her toes were numb from the cold. Oh, she missed home. She missed it terribly. It felt like paradise lost, but she couldn't remember why. 
For the life of her and her misery and her exhaustion, she couldn't remember why. What was so terrible? William? He was a baby, that's all. Her mother? Well, Peggy had upset her. She could say sorry and it would go back to the way things had been. Why hadn't she gone home? Told her mother what had happened to Tom. Why hadn't she gone to her mother to cry with her? Cry and let out all those acidic emotions that ate at her. Starving. Dirty. Still crying. Exhausted. She began her walk home. Each step more taxing than the last. Each slip in the mud a reason to cry. Each thorn that pricked at her as she cut through bramble infested ditches a reason to scream. Oh, her resolve was burnt. But resolve for what? What had she been resolved to do? All she could remember was being tired. So tired that nothing else existed but the need to sleep and sleep well in her own bed no matter the consequence. Walking provided some clarity. The cold air reinvigorated her to the point where she could feel the reasons why she had left and not returned. It had been a collection of sensations. She knew that. It had been an assortment of unpleasant memories and feelings. She knew that. It was plain to her that there was sickness in her home. Her mother was sick. Her father had been sick. Her brother, he too, had been sick. And uncertainty lived in the walls and the floor. The house creaked with it. The promise of a life not lived well. A life lived for something or someone other than herself. That's the clarity that walking had provided her. But as the short, frigid day came to a close, as the sun set, despite her regained clarity of mind, she could not, she would not muster the sense to turn around to find shelter away from the past, from her memories of her mother's warm hugs. Oh, God, she was tired. She was so exhausted. She was burnt to a crisp and sick of the trials that had been placed in her path. All she wanted was the comfort of her own bed, the smell of her own quilt, the company of her mother. As Peggy LaPont told herself the lies she needed to carry on, she could hear a growing tide of noise. She'd been deep in thought and memory, convincing herself of the safety and comfort that surely would still be in the home she'd left, not intending to leave forever, but having not returned in so long. Is that Mark's girl? Hey, someone get her! Peggy hardly recognized the words. It had been too long since she'd heard another person speak. It wasn't until she turned to see a dark mass in the final breath of twilight and bobbing lanterns rushing after her that she put the noise she'd heard to the words she knew. She inhaled sharply, feeling the fear snag her breath from her throat. As she turned to run, a large rustling came from the bushes where the woods met the road to the right of her, freezing her mid-step. If she could have screamed fully and violently, Coughing spittle at the sound she would have, but her throat was petrified. Her legs were jelly, her stomach nauseous, and her heartbeat 
blurred her sight. Peggy! Oh, Peggy, is that you? Mother Cyprian pushed the final bush, obscuring her view of the girl. Oh, thank goodness! Oh, you poor sweet child, quickly! Darling, come with me! Relying on her reputation alone, her attire, her soft elderly face, she smiled at Peggy and reached out a hand. For a moment, Peggy considered it, considered taking her hand as she had taken the hand of Edith before her. She'd learned since then, though, not to be so trusting, not to go blindly with those who smile sweetly and shower you with pleasant soft words and tones. Her genteel manner was over-exaggerated. Peggy could see a glint in her eye of something other than kindness and benevolence. Peggy saw hunger in her eyes, a well-hidden desperation. It lived in her eyes and in her hand that trembled in her smile, which was forced and looked wrong, more sneer than a smile like a dog with lips pulled back. Peggy turned to push the ground hard, hurtling herself forward, away from Mother Cyprian, away from the crowd of loud voices and noises and bobbing lights that shook the ground. From the kitchen, Adam could see what looked like a very large crowd of people coming down the country road towards the LaPont home. Curious, he walked to the front door, opening it and hearing the jeering and shouting from as far away as they were. Hmm, what's the meaning of this? I certainly didn't plan it. Edith Blackleach approached from behind. A mob has come to run the monster from their tiny and terrible little town. Who? Me? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't think they've come for me. Hmm, I wonder, wildly, wistfully, what dreams they chase. <laughs> Oh, would you just stop with the riddles, okay? They aren't chasing a dream, Edith. That being said, I don't like the looks of this. Stay here. Spend some time with your uh, unpleasantly plain daughter. Adam stepped through the front door and down the porch. He saw flashes of Tom's memories as he cavalierly jumped down those steps and turned for a brief moment, allowing the memories to fade into view. Well, that's where Tom and Peggy had sat so long ago, sharing Baker's chocolate, where Adam supposed he had sat so long ago sharing that moment with them. Adam shook his head, clearing the moment letting it go and began to jog down the path that led to the road to investigate the commotion. Peggy ran, head down, eyes squinting, barely open, trying to focus on the ground beneath her to discern the potholes from the raised rocks, doing all she could not to falter, not to lose speed. She hardly knew what was happening, only that she would run and run fast and hope they did not catch her. 
Stealing a glance over her shoulder, Peggy was startled to see the crowd of bobbing lanterns and shouts had turned down the path to her home being replaced only by the old woman, dressed in the attire of a nun, her gown and sleeves flailing in the wind. A ghastly sight, her face contorted in anger or intent or exertion she couldn't tell, not in the growing darkness. Peggy only knew to see a woman of her age run as she was, looked less like she was being chased by a nun down the road than by a ghoul straight from a campfire story. Peggy tried to double her efforts as she faltered for a moment and looked ahead, only to stop dead in her tracks. Standing nearly doubled over, Reverend Albert raised his head to look Peggy in the eyes. He looked sad, but as full of sorrow as he seemed, that ragged lip and those yellow teeth beneath still filled Peggy with the same anxious nausea it had always. I had to cross the fields to catch you. You're fast, just like your brother. Peggy could hear no malevolence in his voice, but hearing him speak of her brother hurt all the same. Mother Cyprian's thumping footsteps came to a halt behind the girl as Peggy saw the woman glistening with perspiration and what bare light there was. Oh, thank goodness! Oh, oh, ooh, Albert! I found you and you found Peggy! Quickly now! We need to run before we are caught in whatever restlessness has taken hold of this town tonight. Peggy was frozen in place from fear, but the reverend, well, the reverend made no acknowledgement of Cyprian, nor did he move to follow her command. Albert, come now! Do as you're told! Grab the girl quickly! We must be on our way! There is more at play than you know, and she must be kept safe. And you need to acquire medical attention immediately. You aren't well. From the direction of the Lapont home, a voice pierced the moment of silence between the two. Wait just a moment, Cyprian. No one is taking the girl anywhere. She has something that belongs to me. Adam crested the ditch that lay between the dirt road and the fields beyond. Oh, Adam, let's be reasonable. Come now, what's a human lifetime to you? Certainly you may let her have her years. I'm, I'm sure there is some agreement we can- Stop. Adam's confident stride stopped, his feet stuck dirt, the strain in his face evident as he tried against the reverend's command to continue his approach, but unable to. Oh, where? Hey. Hey, you shouldn't be able. Surely you didn't just. Reverend Albert. <laughs> what are you doing? She's mine. Give her to me. Oh, well done, Albert. Surely you mean to help me get this poor girl to safety now. Rusty, come here. The crowd which had been chasing Peggy stood on the front lawn of her home, their lanterns barely visible. 
Reverend Albert, Cyprian, and Adam all stood in silence as one lantern broke from the crowd and quickly scuttled across the short span of field between them before coming up onto the dirt road, walking past Adam without so much as a glance. Rusty, we will take the girl with us. As the reverend spoke, Peggy's eyes shot to him, and tears began to bubble at the edges. The potato sack she clutched about her shoulders for warmth still remained in her hand as she raised it, limply whipping it back and forth in a feeble attempt to stave off the approaching man. Albert, stop this nonsense! <sighs> Say no more this night. Mother Cyprian's hand shot to her mouth as she dug her fingernails between her lips, trying to part them, but she was unable to raise the considerable force required to free her from Reverend Albert's compulsion. <laughs> Cyprian, it's come back to bite you. Your little pet's gone feral. The Reverend turned his gaze to Adam. Now... I don't know how you've done this, but listen here. Say no more this night. Adam as well fell into silence, his eyes ablaze with fury. Peggy's eyes darted about like a rabbit caught in a snare. She looked between the four figures that circled her. Beyond them, she could see the crowd around her home. She could hear them jeering and chanting. If only she could get home and whisper to her mother she loved her the most one last time. As Peggy stood, having lost her will to fight as she sunk into that familiar feeling of hopelessness, Rusty ripped the oversized potato sack from Peggy's hand. Her arm fell limply at her side. As she watched a lantern crash against her home, where she lived her entire life, as she watched the flames catch and begin to spread through the rotten and infested faceboards underneath the kitchen window. Rusty raised his fist, swiftly striking her in the side of the head. Peggy fell to the dirt road unconscious. Mother Cyprian and Adam looked on, unable to do anything to stop Reverend Albert. Rusty fit the girl's unconscious and crumpled body into the bag before groaning as he slung it over his shoulder. The river ran strong and swollen with rain. It smelt of dead fish and silt and farm rot runoff. Reverend Albert breathed heavily as he followed Rusty to a small mound along the shore where the current had eaten away at the dirt, creating a dramatic drop-off to the water below. The glow of the Lapod home being consumed by flames lit the clouds above with a revolting orange tinge. Rusty placed the bag on the ground, peering into the dark waiting for word from Reverend Albert. The proof of his intoxication in his uneven stance and the uneasy bobbing of his head. Reverend Albert sat for a while, staring at the burlap sack, the old dusty potato bag that so cruelly contained Peggy. There was 
there was only one way to keep Peggy from the dark. To keep her from Adam. <sighs> Go on. He said it simply. No flourish, no explanation. He needed none. Reverend Albert took no pleasure in the task, but it had to be done. As he watched Rusty pick up the burlap sack, tightening the knot that closed the bag, Reverend Albert fell back onto the ground, letting the breath leave his lungs. Oh, he was spent. His arms and legs, they wouldn't move. The pain in his back was gone, and for a moment, as his vision dimmed at the edges as his lungs did not reach for more breath, as he began to feel a numbness climb up his body, oh, he watched as the first faint snowfall of the year began to drift down upon his face, tickling him as it landed. He smiled sadly as he felt it melt on his cheek and closed his eyes. speaks about the LaPonts at all. Not out in the open, at least. Not where those who shouldn't hear would hear. Not when half the town would have to admit they took pleasure in learning the LaPonts were finally and truly no more. If ever you were curious, if ever you wanted to know more, you'd have to listen, and listen very closely, to the town whispers. Today's episode was written and performed by Cole Weavers. Sound production and editing by Matt Black. Our theme song is by the ever-wonderful Charlie P.S. Starring Karen Heimdall as Edith Blackleach and Mildred LaPont. The fort is built on secrets and shadows, on unspoken truths and the designs of the long shadows, whoever they may be. But it's also built on the support of its townsfolk. Would you like to support our tiny little monstrosity of a town by mending the roof of the church? Or keeping the doors of the sanatorium for the lost and unwanted open? Or perhaps you'd rather help build the mausoleum for the ones who will never die? In thanks for your support, and for only a few dollars a month, you'll receive episodes of The Town Whispers released early and forever ad-free, as well as exclusive short stories and one-shots to expand your knowledge of what lays dormant and watching under the earth. Would you like to see, with your own frail eyes that can only see what can be imagined by the goodness of a heart drenched in humanity by receiving digital rewards at the visual variety? 
All this and more will be revealed on our Patreon. Please consider joining us at www.patreon.com slash the town whispers. If you would like to support us in other ways, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at The Town Whispers, or by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on the show, please head on over to www.thetownwhispers.com. As the LaPont family home burned to the ground, as nearly every shingle of its roof was kissed by flame, each floorboard bubbling, each panel and each wall eaten away and beginning to crumble. From the flames walked Edith Blackleach, the screams of her own daughter, trapped and confined in the flames behind her trailing into the night. with you. William, isn't it? If only they knew. Isn't that right? <laughs>